I want to update you on a few things. You, you don't know this. We do so many things uh, in-house uh, among leadership uh, that we need to tell you. Uh, one thing uh, we're doing this month is we double our support for our missionaries. And so uh, what it, besides our regular support, we double that uh, for those individual missionaries that uh, are struggling to keep afloat and trying to make a Christmas for them. So uh, we just did that. And uh, as of last Monday, uh, the church helped 48 families, gave them $13,920 out of the Agape Fund, which pays rent, buys food, uh, fixes broken down cars, uh, helps do whatever needy people go through at this time of the year. But because you give to the Agape Fund, we dis uh, disbursed nearly $14,000 uh, for them to help them. Uh, last uh, Saturday, uh, we went out under the leadership of Sean and uh, distributed uh, about 85 baskets. And if you've never been a part of that, even if you couldn't give a basket, just come down here on the Saturday that we all meet together and wrap and take the food out and disperse it. Uh, it would do something for your spirit just to be caught up in the middle of it. Uh, and then last week, uh, we took 275 boxes from Samaritan Purse uh, for all these children, and we'd had to take it to a station where they could be picked up. But uh, it's a thrill. And now we're going for Christmas, and we're going to buy gifts. We're going to buy meals. We're going to disperse agape fund money. We're going to help missionaries. We're going to pay the rent, and we're going to keep preaching the gospel. So uh, I just want to tell you, uh, you give it. We get the joy of giving it away. Uh, and I just want to thank you that last February, we started a uh, stewardship campaign of which 80 of you joined us to become first fruit givers. And we also took on a stewardship campaign, a double header, uh, and committed $2.7 million to pay off this building. So I want to thank you. You're continuing to do that. God's continuing to supply. And you know what? I have to say something. You know, I was having my hip uh, worked on during that time. I was having a surgery. And uh, I know I must have weighed in and endorsed the decision, but I had forgotten it. And that was, if there's any of you that started to give, that had never given before, we gave you 90 days. Now, raise your hand if you remember this. We gave you 90 days to contact the church office, and we would refund your money. How many of you remember that? After we did it, I thought, what an idiotic thing to have done. <laughs> I thought, I've never seen a church do that. And for 90 days, I was holding my breath. You want to know how many called? Zero. Good math. Zero. Zero. <laughs> Guess Guess what the story is? God blessed them more than they ever realized. So thank God he's using you to give like you've been giving for years. But I just wanted to let you know, uh, I tried to get a refund, but Ron wouldn't do it. So, okay. Come on, Tim. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you've given us through Jesus. We don't merit them, but you give them freely. 
May we share first fruits back with you and enjoy your blessing day by day. Provide for those that do not have and allow us that do to share. In Jesus' precious name, amen. While they're taking the offering, would you turn with me as your hands become free? Don't, let, don't grab your Bible until you make sure you put your offering in the basket. To John chapter 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, chapter 12 will end the public ministry of Christ. He appears in the triumphal entry and uh, shows up, says, Behold, your king is among you. And so after this, the plot to kill him, emerges, chapter 13 through 17. He goes into an upper room just with his own. 18, the plot is carried out. He goes before Pilate. And so this is the last, the last public ministry of Christ recorded in the book of John. And we come to this moving scene 
that I liken it to a rose growing up in a barnyard full of manure. Everything is desperate. Uh, from John 11, the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees set out to kill Jesus. They even have plans to kill Lazarus. And because that gets out, uh, Jesus, uh, he, he goes up to a place called Ephraim, north of Jerusalem, to hide out and to get away. And uh, then as the narrative goes along, uh, we find out that he makes a trip to Bethany, which is only two miles from Jerusalem. So it's a dangerous trip. He knows they're out to kill Lazarus. They're out to kill him. Why? The raising of Lazarus was an embarrassment, twofold embarrassment. It was an embarrassment politically and an embarrassment theologically. Christ was gaining in popular momentum and losing all control was the religious party of the Jews. They said, this man is going to get the whole world to go after him if we don't stop him. If you don't want to believe in him, you usually want to stop him. And so they set out to do it. They're embarrassed theologically, especially the Sadducees, who said there is no such thing as a resurrection. We don't buy it, and all of a sudden we've got a man that before the whole nation is looking us look like, make us look like fools. For he said he's the resurrection and the life, and guess what? He's got living proof that he can do it. This makes us look bad. We must do something to shut this man down. Then we come to the house at Bethany. This scene is described in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and here. There's a different woman in Luke 7. She's at the house of Simon the Pharisee. She's a known sinner probably a harlot or a prostitute, a woman of an ill reputation. That's a different scene. This is different. This is Mary, the beloved, who was always at his feet, the sister of Lazarus, a godly, wonderful woman. So this is what's going on here. And so they come in to the house. You got to get this scene. Christ has made a dangerous trip because the word got out that a special dinner of appreciation is going to be shown to him. I don't know about you, but if you could raise my sister Hazel right now, I'd throw a party for you. These, these gals aren't passive. We know our brother was dead for four days, and the whole community knows it. And this man comes into town. We thought it was too late, but God's never too late because there's always a divine design in delay. And he showed up just in time. And so now we come into this room, and it's buzzing. The disciples are there, so there's 12. Then you've got the community. Probably Simon the uh, leper's house was bigger than Lazarus. Some believe that Simon might have been the father of Lazarus. We're not sure. But there had to be a lot of people. They were swarming. And at this dinner, you get about four characters. You get the disciples that Matthew says they are indignant at the dinner. 
when Mary pours out her ointment. And the word simply means they were angry. You've got Judas who feigned anger and was upset. But when you're a thief and you see money go on Jesus, you can't be too happy about it. And then you've got uh, Lazarus who says nothing. He hasn't even written a book yet how it's like to go to heaven and come back. Four days, didn't have time to get it published. Then you've got Martha, the perpetual servant in the gospel narrative. Now, this time she's not fretting. In Luke 10, she was fretful and worried, but this time she's just serving. Just, it, it just, she's made to serve. So she prepared the dinner, orchestrating everything. Thank God for the women. If you didn't have women, you wouldn't have Thanksgiving. If you didn't have women, you wouldn't do a whole lot of stuff that gets done. Because I'm good at inviting, but I'm hoping she's home. And when I was at a Bible college one time, I, I, there was a, an important uh, official that came on the campus. I said, oh, come down to our house for tea. I ran down to tell Carolyn she had gone shopping. <laughs> I never did that again without calling home because I was there by myself. Didn't look good. And so you have these women coming together. And so let's look at these characters. Let's see what's going on. Uh, I think um, there's three lessons I think I get out of the story before we develop it. Uh, Jesus is somebody worth being extravagant about. I call this extravagant love. When you take a year's worth of wages, did any of you drop that much money in the offering plate today? A woman took what was worth about $25,000 in today's money, probably had been a family heirloom or something she'd been saving all of her life since this family seems to be a rather prosperous family. But what she did in one act of taking 11 ounces, approximately, of Himalayan India, produced nard, came from that region. I mean, it is absurd to both the disciples and to Judas. So in the midst of everything, watch this, the circumstances. There's a plot going on to kill Lazarus. There is a death threat out to kill Jesus. He will march into Jerusalem riding not a white stallion, which was the horse of a conqueror, but the meek, lowly Jesus comes in on a donkey. And then after that, the plot thickens. We're going to kill this man. We will not have him be our king. And in the midst of all of this rejection, hate, anger, a woman dares do something that the rest of them were clueless to do. She says, I'm going to worship and adore him while I have him in my life. He's going to be dead within a week, and I'm going to do what I do for him as soon as I can. Jesus won't be dead in a week in your life, but you might be. So that whatever you're going to do for Christ, you must do today. Delay is no friend. Delay is no friend. You've been using that excuse all your life. Tomorrow, tomorrow, today, 
So watch what she does. It's straightforward. She pulls out this ointment. She pours it on his feet. In the other Gospels, he, she also pours it upon his head. And she takes her hair and she turns it into a towel. And the fragrance fills the air. And you want to write the hallelujah chorus. Amen? This is great. Man, the air is changed. We've got our sister over here at his feet, pointed on his head, taking her hair, which is her glory, and just say, I'll turn it into service for him. What's hair for if not to adore my Savior with? What's money for if not to adore my Savior? He just raised my brother. He is the resurrection and the life. I have no doubt about who he is. And in the midst of this adoration, in the midst of this marvelous pouring out of love, uh, she, she's going to start being rebuked. She's going to start being told, you're stupid. You don't know how to manage money. You, you don't, you, this is a waste. This is a waste. Anything you give to God is a waste. I take money magazine, and I take a few other magazines about money, and I barely get to read them. They're all telling me how to be rich. I've never had one of them tell me to be a giver. I've never had one chapter in that magazine that said, you ought to give to God first, and matter of fact, be as generous with God as you can. I've gone to some seminars on financial planning. Now, I know some financial planners that know the Lord. They've got a different perspective. But you're not going to find many of them say, by the way, you need to make an extravagant gift to the Lord Jesus Christ at this Christmas season. Nobody on Wall Street's going to tell you to do that. No, no, no. And so we get a Wall Street rep here called Judas, who is a crook. And he begins to make the protest. I, I have to say, Christ is the only object of your heart that you really can't ever give too much. Um, we'll look at our own lives after a while when I go home with this sermon. But here's this woman pouring out this unadulterated, overwhelming devotion. And the shock in it all is that there'd be any opponents. They happened to be all men. Isn't that interesting? And the disciples were indignant, Matthew 26. Here we just focus in on Judas. Maybe he led the pack and created one, you know, bad apple can sour everybody. And so Judas, he begins to protest. No, no, uh, you're not using God's money. The, you notice it was her money anyway. Aren't some people experts at telling you how to spend your money? Judas, this hasn't cost you a dime. Not one dime. But you're an expert. You're an expert because you handle the little bag of money. You're the church treasurer. Tell Ron I wasn't picking on him. Uh, and he says, why wasn't this perfume sold? There's 300 denarii and give it to the people. That's a year's wages. In the Gospels, a denarii was one day's worth of wages. You take out the 52 Sabbaths, and you got about a year's worth of wages. 
And notice, he didn't say this because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box. He used to pilfer what was put into it. And it's a present tense. He was always, always stealing from the money that came into the disciples, came into Christ. And then Christ speaks up, let her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with me, with you, but you do not always have me. Three parts of the rebuke. And I start at verse 8, work my way backwards. Uh, the first thing, leave her alone. You don't always have me near. The days of my incarnation are about over. The days that you could touch me, the days that you could do. I'm going to be gone within a week. I'm going to be gone. You will not always have me as I'm with you now in this body. The next time you see me in a body, you'll see a glorified, nail-pierced body. You'll be at the cross as many of you as make the trip because many of you fled me at that night. You never even got close to the cross. John got close. But now I want to tell you, the rest of the disciples weren't hanging out at Golgotha. They were hiding. They were running. We've got to be sure, and I ask you, when that offering plate goes around, when we talk about service, if you don't have Jesus in view, you're a vain worshiper, and you need your money refunded, but we're not going to do it. It's a 90-day offer. You can put into a lot of offerings, and it never register in heaven. Because unless Jesus is the object of your affections and the goal, you're just in another form of religion that is powerless and wasted effort. You're just a philanthropist, but not really a worshiper. And so he says, she did the right thing. She redeemed the opportunity. Right now, she sees me. Right now, she did it too. I'm not against you being good to the poor, but you'll have over 2,000 years to do that. She's only got this moment to have me. Only a week will I be around. The poor you have always. And no one said to be good to the poor any more than God. So he's not contradicting himself. But you've got me in your midst. You don't have a great burden for the poor. When did Judas ever help the poor? When did those that would interrupt the worship of Jesus and the extravagant display of love that gives large sums of money, that takes your hair, a Jewish woman to do this, she broke all protocol because Jewish women were not allowed to have their hair down in public. But she undid it because Numbers 5 said when a woman was accused of adultery, she had to let her hair down and let the priest examine her. It was a shameful thing, but she abandoned all custom, all that went on. I'm going to turn my hair into the towel that washes his feet and wipes all this ointment. What, I tell you, if I was a woman, I cannot imagine as a believing woman that I'd ever use my hair for anything greater. I washed the feet of my Messiah in the ointment, and I used my hair. 
What good is hair? What good is a body if it's not put at his feet and turned into his service? And so he says, hey, don't leave her alone. You don't always have me. You'll always have the poor. And then she's done this for the day of my burial. And, and this is almost prophetic. I don't know that Mary said, I know he's going to be dead soon. We don't know. It, it, it's a tough verse. But maybe it's the idea, I'm entering into his suffering. I've been saving this ointment for my own funeral. Because in Bible lands, decomposition happened quick. They expected the tomb to be full of stench when they went there for Lazarus. So he said, my Savior, my Savior will have the most precious ointment that can be bought. He will not fill a tomb full of human odor from dying and decomposition. Something I must tell you, God had promised Messiah in Psalms 110, when you die, I will see to it that no decomposition happens to your body those three days. He would not let his beloved see the corruption of the worm. Psalms 110. So there was no stench when you came to Christ's tomb. God took care of all the decomposition. But this woman, she doesn't know that. And she said, I am going to give now. My Savior shall be buried with the best of them. I've entered into his sufferings, and I want to give what I've got to him. So Peter, he's in there with the other disciples. They're all angry about this. Judas is the spokesman. Judas Young, I want to rebuke you. I won't always be here. The poor will be. And she's done something that anticipates the day of my burial. She did the deed now. And you know what? This Mary didn't go to the tomb. She didn't go on that resurrection morning. Mary Magdalene went, but not this Mary. And so uh, you see this contrast why did Judas have that attitude? Where did that come from? Uh, something is scary. Your attitude about money might indicate your spiritual danger. God told a young pastor in Ephesus, Timothy, Timothy, don't determine to get rich, for if you do, you will fall into diverse temptations that drown the souls of men. He said it to a pastor, not a financial planner, not a businessman, but a young pastor. I know when I started this church, my father asked me, what are you going to do to pay your bills? I said, well, I'm going to just pray and trust God, and if he doesn't take care of me, I'm leaving the ministry. There's no need of representing a God that can't take care of me. He said, what? I said, yeah. I said, I've studied, been preaching, been going to school. I'm coming here to start a church. I didn't come here to be a part-time pastor. Well, well, there's no money. I know that, but there's still God, isn't there? Well, for whatever reason, I'm still here. I obviously have made it. I've obviously eaten. 
God obviously kept his word. And when we had the least, he supplied in abundant ways. You, you see, God doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. And he had all of Mary, he had all of Martha. Look at in that room, two women pouring out the worship, one in service, the other in an extravagant gift, while the rest, and, and of course, Lazarus is saying nothing, but the, the rest of the spiritual elite are griping about the deed. I, I find it, it's an amazing thing until you get in church work and see people's about money. It's always good enough for them, but they get nervous if you pour out too much of it on others and God's church, God's missionaries, God's work, God's work. But they could always want the best for them. But if it's for God and the church, give them leftovers. Because Christ is not the treasure of their life. These women, he was their treasure. Well, he does this strong rebuke. And uh, I think we have to notice this. Judas had always been a thief never quit stealing. But the woman that was always at his feet, which meant the place of humility, the place of the learner, you often sat at the feet of a rabbi and you were being taught. Those who sit at the feet of Jesus are the ones who give the greatest of their life, their service, whatever means they have. And so uh, uh, I would just say, to you and I, uh, let me ask you this question. Which crowd are you in? You know, we had, we had people leave the church during uh, February and March because we were talking about money. Well, they won't quit honoring uh, Christmas, and all of December is going to be about money. You don't know that? It's all about money. A pagan world loves Christmas, not Christ, Christmas. Without the Christ, they love money. They balance their books in December. They either make or break in December. Let me say something to you. Don't let the merchants of the earth rob you of the adoration due Christ in December. Come, let us adore him. Bow down before him. The merchants, they want to get rich. I don't care if they're Muslim, so-called Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, they want to make a buck in December, and they hope you'll forget Christ, you'll remember uh, Rudolph, and that you'll remember a fictitious man at the North Pole. Uh, please, please deliver me from the myths. I'm worshiping a Christ who left a throne and the attendance of angels to become poor, that I might become rich. That's who I will adore. I'll give a gift if I want to. But he's our adoration. He's our adoration. So I want to ask you some things. Uh, let's leave Judas there. Let's leave Mary. If I was to just ask you this question, where are you in the narrative? Now, we don't have time to develop the triumphal entry that he goes on from there, and they begin to shout, Hosanna. This is the king. The common people were receiving him gladly. The religious leaders are pulling strings to get him killed. Where do you fit in all of this? 
Well, you're in some kind of category. I don't know. You might just come along to see this wonder worker that can raise the dead, but you're not going to believe in him. They couldn't, be, they couldn't undo the fact. The whole community saw this resurrection. They, they couldn't get it out. The whole world, it seemed, was going after him. But where are you in the room? If you were in that room, what would you be doing if you had Christ only one more week with you? Let me just raise the best things you could be doing. When are you going to serve Christ? The church is filled with people that are critics, uh, uh, telling the church how it ought to spend its money, how long the sermon ought to be, and what the music ought to be. Why don't you just hush? Why don't you ask the question about what you can do, not what we're doing? What are you doing? You. I'm talking to you. How are you serving Jesus Christ and his church? Did you know this is the only thing that's going to last? Everybody that, you know, voted Republican is now in despair because a Democrat president went back in. You ought to be ashamed that your hope is on politics. I thought you were serving Christ. I thought it was Christ that you were looking to. I thought it was Christ rules all the events of history, that is orchestrating everything, and especially if you think Jesus is coming soon and this is going to hasten it. Well, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Come quickly. We've been putting up with Hitler's Mussolini's and a lot worse, but we're not. Cut it out. What are you going to do in the meantime? You. Don't look at anybody else. I'm talking to you. The you, I mean you in the pew. Where do you serve until you see him? Where do you serve Jesus Christ? Yeah, I'm not asking you to serve me. I'm not asking you to serve this church. Why don't you serve the one that raises the dead? Uh, what, what would you do? Have you, ever, have you ever offered him thanks and adoration for saving your marriage? For saving you? Uh, has he saved any of your children? I watched this PBS special. It's on TV last week. One of our saints told me about it. Monday, Sunday and Monday night, the Dust Bowl, 1930 to 1937, up there in Amarillo and in the panhandle of Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas. Boy, they were a poor lot. Poor lot. Didn't have a chance. When they came to California, they had in this documentary, they said, Okies and niggers sat here. And they put them in the attics of theaters. Whites and poor, poor whites and poor blacks. Treated like dirt. Well, you would be just amazed. My people were among those white trash people that God saved. My people were those people. The only treasure we ever found in all of life was Jesus. Jesus is the only treasure that he'd won us. I just ask you, what are you giving him back? He raised the dead. He raised you. You used to be dead in sin. If you're saved, it's the amazing grace of God 
Will you serve him? Uh, what about, what have you ever laid at his feet? Uh, I was a kid. I had no money, so I laid myself on the altar. All I have to give is me. And you know what? That's really all I got now. The money's all monopoly money. It's going anyway. That doesn't matter. Does he have me? Does he have you? Or would you be upset that things weren't going just right? You didn't want to tell the church how to spend the money, how to do this, do that, do that, while you do nothing. Just a church expert, a worship expert, you hypocrite. Don't tell me how to worship. Are you worshiping? Are you adoring? Are you at his feet? Nobody can answer that but you. And then you won't always penny pinch and get all when you want to get tight. Be tight with yourself, never in your adoration of Jesus. He is the treasure of our heart. He's worth more than we could ever give. How can you ever be extravagant in your gifts to Jesus? We can never give what he's worth. Worship is giving him his worth. I, I often think uh, that uh, Carol and I were going down to a uh, uh, Bible conference with Jews for Jesus uh, in Santa Cruz area. And on the way down, we thought, well, we'd get in a romantic mood. We'd play Barbara Streisand. And uh, she started singing, you don't bring me roses anymore. And we're both about to cry. And Good night. I wanted to put a lip lock on her right there in the car. I'll bring you a rose here. You know, but the story's sad. The song's sad. Faded love is one of the greatest heartbreaks in life. And it's one thing for you to fall out of love with your wife or your husband. And you know what? I could tell you a thousand reasons why that doesn't sound too bad when you know all of your imperfections. But I can never understand why you fall out of love with Jesus. I never can understand. I've done it, but it's never made sense that he becomes a strain. Prayer, oh, do I have to pray today? No, no, you can worry. Worry. Do that. You're good at it. Buy some more Tums. Because he said if you pray, you won't worry. So whatever you want to do. Uh, do we have to go to church? No, stay home. Stay home. Well, I can live it just as good at home. Do you? No, you don't. Where do you serve? Your backyard? Your garage? Your accounts? Your portfolio? When have you ever done anything that the world saw it? I'm amazed, and I close with this, with uh, my brother and sister go, went to the same tax person for years, and every year they would both go through this little thing when they did their taxes. This individual, not a believer, and uh, uh, whatever, and they would keep saying, you're giving too much money to the church. And one year, my brother David, in his kind non-abrasive way. He said, that is none of your business. I, I pay you to do my taxes, not to where I give my money. Guess what? After going there for years, this woman has been converted. And now when they go in to do taxes, she said, I'm getting just like you. I can't give enough to it.
I can't give enough to him because she knows him. When you know him, you can't adore him enough, can you? You can't adore him enough. Well, we're going to prepare to take the Lord's Supper. I want our brothers to come, and uh, we'll sing a song of worship while we prepare, and we'll deliver this. At the end, when we're going to be dismissed, any of you that went on the Israeli trip, if you're here, we're going to have you come up here and let our people greet you. We all were able to pray over you before you went to Israel, and uh, we also would like to welcome you back. And uh, let's stand. Uh, you've been listening to me a long time.